0: Today's reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13-25. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves... Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, This is commendable before God. To this you are called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins. In his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live forever in right, and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you are like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls.
1: Okay, uh, Chris, come on over here. I'm going to do this again. We did it at the first service, but uh, so Chris and his family will be with us for, for a season. He will, he's our interim worship leader, and if you love him, come on. Yeah. <laughs> So I made this really big deal about how hospitable and warm you all are. (laughs) Really, really big. And so anyway, what I want to do right now is pray for him. Uh, Lord, we just pray that for the time that Chris is with us, and we aren't um, totally clear on that, but we just pray for a blessing upon Chris and Kirsten and their boys, and we, we thank you for the gifts that he brings and that he is a gift from you. We receive that gift with great thanks now in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, bud. Yeah. So, uh, Holy Hubert. Anybody ever heard of Holy Hubert? Where's Ed? Yeah? yeah? Come on, raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, I know this about Ed, is that he went to Berkeley, and uh, that was home base for Holy Hubert, who was a, kind of a traveling evangelist back in the day, and uh, he would go from school to school, to school, and since I went to the UW, who beat this other team yesterday, but I don't even want to talk about that. Um, but my encounter with Holy Huber was at the University of Washington, and um, he was a—I a, a, at the time—and I was not a believer in Christ at the time, so take that into account. But he was a source of entertainment. He was a great irritation. Uh, he would say things just to provoke people, and mostly the theme was something like this, if you don't repent, you're going to go to hell. Just pretty much right like that. And he, uh, he, he, would, he could attract a crowd like no one, and I, people liked to provoke him, and then there was a lot of just kind of give and take and shouting and teasing and mocking and spitting, and he even got beaten up. Uh, he had teeth, teeth missing. There was a lot of hatred that he provoked in people. Um, and one of the great interchangers was someone who said, it takes an idiot to believe in Christianity, and he replied, you're qualified. <laughs> <laughs> kind of gives you a little bit of the flavor. But in, in my world, he was an extremist. Now, having said that, and that I really didn't have a taste for that kind of thing, uh, there were two things that kind of, I don't know, caught my soul or whatever. One was that this sort of sense of, well, maybe, maybe, just maybe. Or what if, it's, what if he's right? I mean, I mean he could be right. Because, I mean, I don't, you know, life is more than just our opinions. Truth is truth, and maybe he's right. Anyway, that, and then the fact that he was bold, and he didn't care what other people thought, and having been raised in a home where that was kind of a huge value, that you, you don't do things that are embarrassing in front of other people, like I'm trying not to do right now, you know, all that. Uh, that he, he sort of, caught me in that way that this guy really believes and he puts his life on the line for what he believes. So, um, an extremist though, and I want to I just try to make the point here that uh, extreme, I- extremists are more common today than they were then, and here's how I'm going to do that. Uh, some, this, this is from Kinneman and Lyons in their book. I think it's called Good Faith, which I've uh, re- given that resource out. But anyway, most Americans believe being religiously extreme is a threat to society. So, and not just Americans, but a lot of people, all right? And don't you agree? And we read that statement in light of 9-11 and the things that we know have happened even in the last year uh, that make that seem right. But what is extreme? And this is how their research, this is what their research shows, that most Americans believe... uh, that evangelism, if you practice evangelism, you tell another person about Jesus, that is considered an extreme, you're an extremist, basically. Traditional views on sexuality, you're an extremist. Donating money, we're going to have an offering in a bit, and and if you put money in there, you will be labeled an extremist by most Americans. Reading a Bible uh, silently in a public place, which I hope you all do, (laughs) uh, would make you... An extremist. Now, on a, in back in the '70s, when Holy Hubert was doing his thing, that that that's not that was kind of like okay, but this stuff culture has changed. That's the point. And uh, you're going to if you live for Christ in a way that is beyond just coming to something like this on a Sunday. If you live for Christ outside of what was historically known as Christendom, which is when Christianity was favored by the culture that we live in. Outside of that, and it's dead, folks, it is gone. You will be, you will feel this friction or social alienation that comes from living for Christ. So um, that's where, that's just kind of where we are today. That's why we're doing this series called Against the Flow. So Peter has three themes that, uh, and by the way, there's a group right downstairs right now. I should mention this because, It's it's in the worship folder thing, but there's a group right now downstairs learning about how to have arts or the art of spiritual conversations with people. So consider them radicals in training down there. That but here's the deal about about Christianity is that as opposed to Islam, and I and I don't mean this to offend my Islam friends or my Muslim friends, but a radical in Christianity is somebody who looks like Jesus. That's that's what it means to be radical. To radicalize a person is to see them become more like Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a really a beautiful thing for our world and for them, for God. Um, so Peter has three themes that we're picking up on in this letter. Uh, one is that uh, we, are li- we are all exiles or foreigners or strangers. We've seen that, that phrase again and again. That if you are from another country in the United States you know what that feels like that you're really your home is really somewhere else and as Christians we know that we should be Christians should be the people on this planet who understand immigration and the immigrant and the issues of the immigrants because we are immigrants we really belong somewhere else and we find we have passports now that allow us to be here we're not we're not really naturalized citizens here when you say yes to Jesus Christ you become a naturalized citizen in another kingdom you know And then, so we have the theme of exile, we have the theme of suffering, that it's absolutely normal for a Christian outside of Christendom to suffer for their faith. At some level, whether it's just some friction, some social alienation, or there are extremes of that as well. And then the third thing is is this idea of being winsome and so that's what they're doing downstairs right now. A week ago, our staff walked across the street, and we welcomed people in the neighborhood across the street. Uh, we we want to be winsome because the gospel is winsome. Okay. Now, in all of this, the church has historically in America, or in the last uh, decades in America, focused on being relevant. And being relevant means we want to take the scriptures and make them, Uh, relevant to people in their everyday lives. And that's a good thing. But there's a shift going on. And these kind of books that I'm quoting from are part of that shift. That says what's really needed now more than ever is not so much relevance, but resilience. And Peter writes his letter to first century Christians who are needing to learn what it means to be resilient. To stand strong in the true grace of God is what Peter says. So how do we get that resilience? Resilience. Uh, We're going to look today at Peter's failure. It's so good to know that we can identify with somebody if we're failures, which we all are, basically. And that we are called to submit to every authority. Whoa, that's hard. And then we're going to do a little case study that Peter does. So let's start with with Peter um, and his uh, failures. We know that Peter, who wrote this letter uh, 30 years earlier, he had two events that happened on the same night that kind of define his life in many ways and the conversation that he's having now and that we're having now. So the first one was on the night that Jesus was, before he was crucified, on the night he was betrayed, uh, which is a very famous night in the Christian world. Then Peter, uh, Jesus had just been arrested, and then Peter, who had a sword, he drew it and he struck the high priest's servant who uh, was there, he came to arrest and he cut off his ear, and the servant's name was Malchus. That's from John 18.10. A little-known fact that you have to, in the Greek, Malchus means the one with the big ears. You don't like my humor. This is why my kids think I'm so funny. I don't know. I just thought, no, that's not true. Malchus was just a poor guy standing there. He had nothing to do. He was a servant. And Peter pulls out his sword and lops off his ear. And then Jesus does this amazing thing. He heals his ear. Really kind of cool. But the point is, is that Peter, out of pride most likely, out of wanting to be that one guy in history who stood strong with Jesus, who said, I'm not going to be known like these other guys. I'm going to be the one who's courageous and maybe in history, they'll remember me as Peter the Great. He was wrong on that. Somebody else got that title. But he, he takes out his sword and he lops off the ear. He takes life into his own hands and in his pride, he does something that Jesus does not command him for. Jesus says, "Put that sword away. That's not how it's going to happen." All right, so there's, there's Peter at not his best, and um, then we go to a couple of hours later. One of the the high priest's servants, a relative of Malchus, basically, um, whose ear Peter had cut off, he challenged Peter when he was sitting there in this courtyard area where Jesus was nearby and Jesus was about ready to be put on trial. And for the third time, somebody accuses Peter of being associated with Jesus. And Peter says, Or The guy says, "Uh, didn't I see you with him, with Jesus, in the olive grove? And Peter again denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. This was the third time that Peter denied that he even, it says, knew Jesus. So you have this incident where Peter, out of pride, lops off the ear, and out of fear, he wimps out. That's that's those two incidents, hours apart. So have you ever, I mean, just think of that, those two things. And now, this is what we're going to use for our framework for evaluating how we figure this thing out. How do we live uh, against the flow? Peter has shown us two ways to not live against the flow. And um, one of them is based in pride, and the other is based in fear. And whether you operate out of fear or you operate out of pride, you are basically operating out of yourself as as your own strength. Peter needs, as AA folks know, a higher power. If he's going to be resilient, he's going to have to have a higher power, providing him with strength that he does not currently have. And so what we're going to look for here is a third way. These are two ways that you don't do it. Now, Peter, 30 years later, is giving wisdom, advice, what we call Holy Scripture now, to uh, the first century uh, church that he's writing to, and we get to hear it today. Okay? there we go. That frames the question for us. So let's go to the uh, — oh, I need to give you one more quote. This is just following up on what the wimp factor: "An uncomfortably large segment of Christians would rather agree with people around them than experience even the mildest conflict." And I, that's a quote, but I, I put it up there because I know how it works. I know, what it, I know what it's like to be in that place where you could speak up, but you don't, and because it would make you feel uh, socially alienated. It, would, it brings fear to you. See, the one, thing, the one thing that will get you called an extremist today is to not uh, contain your faith to places like this or to your home. Uh, the world is fine. Most of the world is fine with you practicing your Christian faith in your home, in your cars. And some of you don't do that very well. <laughs> I've seen you on the roads. Uh <laughs> Yeah, you've seen me too. Okay, I get it. Um, but in places like this on Sundays, confine it there, no problem. But take it out into the real world a business, sports. Have you ever seen the, the sports announcer get really uncomfortable when the person starts talking about Jesus Christ? I mean, it's just, they want to change the subject. It's just, you know, it's really, really awkward. That's the kind of friction we're talking about. Business, sports, politics, media, education, the real world. Keep keep it out of there, and everything's just fine. And that problem with that is that if that had been the case in the first century, we would not be here today. There would be no Christianity. It got outside. It got outside. It was a can of worms. The worms were everywhere, you know? Change the world. So we are not given that option. All right, submit to every authority. Let me read that. That verse there, uh, chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, not for your sake, but for the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among people, whether to the king or to the emperor, to the supreme authority, to the governor. And yes, it doesn't say president, but don't you think that's what he's talking about? So you can watch the debate tonight and you can think, do I really want to submit myself? You know, that's where we're going here. We've got to get this down to the real stuff. That's what he's saying. Submit yourself to every authority. There's no footnotes. It, you know, we look for the footnote, except for yeah, this one and that one and no, there's no footnotes. Submit yourself to every authority. It's hard. But Peter knows at least he knows at least two things really well that are kind of big picture stuff. He knows that every human being in this world has a natural inclination to rebel, and he knows that because the the Bible says that's the first thing that humans did in the beginning, or one of the first things that made everything go south was to rebel and say, "No, God, we don't like it your way. We're going to do it our way." We have that in us, each and every one of us. And what do you think? Do Americans have more of that or less of that? I mean, it's pretty much how we define ourselves as a nation. We rebelled against Mother England, if you didn't know. Yeah, and uh, we we just, you know, I I came from 17 years in Alaska. What do you think they say up there about this? Now, don't tell us what to do, Washington, D.C. We don't care what you think. We're going to do things our way. There's just a ton of that attitude up there. Okay. Look at your kids. Do I have to... Look at yourself. Come on, be honest. Look in the mirror. How many times have you said that? It's part of who we are. Secondly, Peter knows really, really well that those governors and presidents and kings and emperors are part of the problem, that they are very, very fallen people, extremely fallen people, and sometimes they get really, really far off and his, in his case, it was Nero. And if you want to look up Nero, uh, Wikipedia will do a good job. doesn't matter. He, he's got a bad reputation. He actually went crazy, and he was very, very hard on the church. And Peter ends up dying at his hands. But Peter says, Submit to every authority. No footnotes. So he knows that. So here's the, here's the test for you. Tonight, or during this election season here in the United States... You're called to do two things. Will you do it? This is biblical biblical stuff. It's not like suggestions. It's do stuff. Honor the president. Honor the president. Doesn't matter who it is. You honor them. And secondly, you pray for them. And do you know that when you pray for someone, it's really hard to criticize them? When you're praying for them, they just don't go together. So I jokingly will say, pray for me. You know, hey, it's my own self-interest. But I want to be prayed for, but I know that when I ask that, you will not. It makes you less negative when you pray for someone. The Bible is very clear on that. In this passage, it says honor the king, but it means honor the president. And Paul says to pray for them. So rate yourself on that. How are you doing on that one? What grade would you give yourself on honoring and praying for your elected officials. Now, there's, there's just this really weird thing that i got to explain why Peter can say that. Because Peter and Paul both die at the hands of Nero. So you think, I mean, what? Are you naive? Are you not in touch with the real world, the world of, uh, you know, realpolitik? And uh, uh, anyway, that other phrase that gets thrown about, out there about that, which I can't remember right now. But are you that naive, Peter? Paul, here's what they had. And this is what we have, but we don't have it like they had it. It's the super awareness that what you see in this world is not all there is. Because I'm going to hear, I'll, I'll just say it. If this is all there is to life, what we see right now, what we see tonight on, on television, if we watch that debate, or what we experience in this season of life, if that's all there is, then I have plenty of reason, one, to worry, and two, to be very, very active in the political realm. I mean, hyperactive, because this is all there is. But Peter and Paul did not look at it that way. They knew that there was another kingdom, and there was another king, and that king was over all these other kings. He's the king of kings, Jesus is, and he allows this mess to happen. For some reason, we don't always get to see I wish it was different, but that's the way it is. And they're committed to that eternal kingdom. They have a passport they carry with them that says, my citizenship is elsewhere. Yeah, I'm a citizen here. I'm not going to be irresponsible, but my primary citizenship is elsewhere. And I'm committed to that. And they are alive right now, Peter and Paul. And they have no regrets about what they advised. All right. So, it's, But it, I don't want to get around the thorny question. Here's the thorny question, and it requires a lot of... We're going to talk about it next week when we look at Daniel's life. How do you do this third way thing? How do you live? How do you honor and pray for the king when the king is really, really evil? And the, the greatest example in history, I think, is Hitler. There's others that come close. Stalin and Mao and all the rest... But they're just really, really evil, committed to evil. Do you know that Stalin, after he killed 6 million Jews, responsible for that and responsible for 20 to 30 million people dying, in his last days, he says, the one thing I regret is that I was so kind. So, I mean, this is evil, right? So how do you honor and pray for Hitler? Well, first of all, let's go with pray. Could you pray for him? I mean, wouldn't that be a good thing? Is there any reason why you couldn't pray for that evil man if you were living in that time? I mean, there's no excuse, folks, to not pray for your elected leaders. How do you honor him, though? That's tougher. You honor him to the best that you can. And what it means, I'll tell you what it, what it doesn't look like, is people sitting around in coffee shops complaining being negative and being cynical or watching TV or listening to radio, and that's all it is, is negativism, cynicism, and criticism. That's not it. You don't see these guys doing that. They were so committed to this other kingdom. So we have examples that help us from history. We have Martin Luther King, who got it right, I think. Best we can tell. There's no formulas here. You've got, you've got Gandhi, who borrowed from Christian principles to practice his stuff. You've got Bonhoeffer in Germany, who was fully committed to Christ, a Lutheran pastor. And they stood up. And they stood up without wimping out and without drawing that sword out and flailing off the poor guy's ear. I mean, There's, there's ways to do this. And it's going to come by following Christ into hard and awkward and uh, sometimes uh, gray areas where you're not sure what you're doing, but you, can't, you know you just can't sit still. And you've got to have people in community around you that let you know that you're not just being a moral fanatic uh, who's going off on their own and exercising that rebellion. But there are times where you have to take a stand and you risk social alienation as you do so. All right, that's my best answer to that question until we can come back to it next week when we look at Daniel's life. Let's look at the case study. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. And this, is, this requires a little bit of work. Because when we hear slaves, we think of racist institution that was part of American history. Slavery as it was practiced in the Roman Empire was very it was bad but it was very different from what we remember as slavery first of all it was not based in race and second of all it wasn't permanent you could you you there was a flow into and out of slavery based on your economic situation and paul is trying to or paul and peter both the new testament writers are trying to address how you live with that situation even though it's not a great situation and he gives so that there's that. But here's the, here's the main thing. The New Testament writers are not interested in changing or transforming society the way we think today when we, have, we elect politicians to do that for us. And I give politicians credit on both the left and the right that they are trying. I think they're using a lot of the wrong methods. But they're trying to make this world a better place. They really are. Give them credit for that. But uh, what, what's... The New Testament writers, that's just not their focus. So here's their focus. Their focus is not on the transformation of structures in society that are bad. Their focus is on the human heart. On your heart. That's why we have these letters. On my heart. The the heart is where the real problems are. Deep down inside of us. And what happens, as you invite Jesus Christ into your life, into your heart, your heart begins to change. You become more loving. You become more kind and generous and the way you treat people, I've seen this happen people treat people differently and then that spreads and then you can't contain it because that would be wrong to contain all that stuff and that's not what Jesus wants, so it spills out into the real world, into the world of business and politics and sports and education and all the rest it spills out and then culture is transformed as a result But you don't start with trying to change culture. You start with trying to change the human heart. That's how the world was turned upside down by the early church. We can learn from them. Okay. Uh, Peter goes on. We're almost done here. He says, uh, so, So submit yourself to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. So here's the deal. What Peter is saying is basically, if you do a poor job at work, let's just say this is employers and employees, most of us are in one category or the other, and you do a poor job, and you get punished for it, whatever that looks like in your work situation, you get written up for it, and you endure that punishment well, what Peter is saying is, big deal, right? So what? It <laughs> doesn't impress me. But if you do well, and you do things right, and you are fully committed to what you're doing with a good conscience, and then you suffer for it, you get persecuted for it, you are... Commended to God for that, and there's something about that that will offend people and it will attract people. We talked about that last week. So my story from Air Force days is uh, an Air Force chaplain who uh, came to me wanting, I think, comfort and sympathy because he was in a bad situation, and he told me about his his superiors who were not being fair to him. He was trying to get some new initiatives started, and uh, he was uh, running into political correctness, which is a very big deal in any big institution these days. And he felt uh, you know, frustrated by it. He felt like he was being passed over in promotions because of his commitment to Christ, and on and on and on. And I prayed for him. Well, I find out, this, you, know, you over time, I found out that people who are in his world, Christians who I knew, told me that that's not the whole story. The whole story had to do with his inability to be flexible, that he was not, in fact, doing a great job as defined by his superiors, that he was not always honoring those who were over, who were over him. Uh, I could go on and on and on, but the, the final thing is, is that he liked to play the victim card. And the victim card is something that we like to play <laughs> as humans. I mean, it makes us feel good at, when somebody is not being fair to us. So it was a whole different situation. And that would maybe help you understand what Peter is talking about here. But then Peter does something that's not fair. He goes to the victim of victims, the true victim, Jesus Christ. If there's anyone who could ever have played the victim card, it would have been Jesus, but he didn't. And he quotes Peter does from, uh, I won't read it for you. I'll read I'll read a little bit for you, and then we'll look at the screen. But um, he says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving for you an example, we'll hold on to that word, we'll come back to it, that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And then he died on the cross. So this is what he's picking up on here are some quotes from Isaiah 53. These four things. He committed no sin. Jesus committed no sin. He did not retaliate. And those are the example uh, phrases in, from Isaiah 53. And then it says, He bore our sins, my sins, your sins. And then on the cross, He received wounds. And those wounds that He received are the source of healing and salvation for you. So the first two, we... we uh, we can't do the first one but it's an example to us to maybe sin less and we can do the second not retaliate but the third and fourth one those are things that we can't do I can't bear somebody else's sins and I can't heal somebody by my wounds so example we look at Christ from afar Good. That's good, Peter. I get you on that. But he goes further. You need that resource. Remember we talked about earlier? How are you going to get resilient? Not by just looking at Jesus, by asking Jesus into your heart and allowing him to become the source of strength for your life, that you might stand in the true grace of God. So what I want to do right now is lead us in a prayer for that. I want you to open your hearts up. Just close your eyes. Get in a good position to pray along with me. Open your hearts up, and we'll pray this prayer together. I want to begin by reading from the next verse, verse 25. Peter says, For you were like sheep going astray. And remember, Peter knows what it feels like to be a sheep going astray. He's failed. But now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your Of your souls. And my question to you before God with your eyes closed is Have you, have you returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls? To the rightful king, to the king of kings, to the one who is right now reigning in power and righteousness, whose kingdom has no end, who will remember you a thousand years from now. Not only remember you, he will hold you. When all this world is gone, at least for you and I, the eternal king, have you returned to him? He's the rightful king. Do you want to? Just all of us, just may pray these words in your heart. I invite you to, Lord Jesus, come, come, Lord Jesus, come into me right now, into my heart. Transform me that I might be a transformer of this world that you love. Come into my heart, Lord, for the first time I'm tired of picking up the sword and I'm tired of wimping out. I need a resource of resiliency in my life that I might live, really live. I give myself to you. Whether it's for the first time or the nth time, I give myself to you. I commit myself to you. Come into me, Lord Jesus. Live in me. Give me your strength to stand. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.